Amen. Thanks, Ev. Good morning, Grace Hill. Good to see all of you. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, so we'd love to uh, meet you in the lobby afterwards. I want to reiterate one thing Ev just said. Uh, where are we going to be worshiping together next week? Hernan Middle School. That's right. All right. If you show up here, no one will be here. Um, but we're not far, so just go down to Hernan Middle School. We're excited to be back there. That's where we've uh, generally gathered together over the life of this church and couldn't be there this summer. They're doing some construction. Uh, so we're excited to be back there uh, at Hernan Middle uh, next week. Um, so a few months ago, maybe, I think, my son got really into uh, pranks. He thought pranks were like the most hilarious thing in the world. Not super great at them, but he really got into them. And so he thought it was fun to like do different things to mom and dad, like, you know, run and put like a piece of ice down our back or something like that. Just a little prank. So one day I decided, this is what happens with me. Sometimes I take things overboard. I decided, well, I'm going to get him really good. All right. I'm going to show him what a real prank is. And so what I did is I, uh, I got Kim and I kind of told her my idea and she thought it was kind of dumb, but she was going to play along with it. I said, all right, I need you to go downstairs and you're going to go into the laundry room and close the door. Okay. And it's about nine o'clock at night. So my son was already asleep. So I ran up to my son's room and I'm like, Leland, Leland, you got to wake up. I need your help. I need your help. And he's like, what? You know, he's getting up. He's like, what? I was like, I need your help. I was like, there's a raccoon in the house. There's a raccoon in the house. Like, I need your help to get out. He's like, no, dad, I don't want to. I was like, no, 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 you got to help me. There's a raccoon in the house. I need your help. Come on, follow me. So we like go downstairs. And so my wife is in the laundry room scratching at the door. All right. And uh, so I'm like, all right, it's in there. So my son like hears the scratches and he's like, his wide eyes. I was like, all right, here's the plan. He, well, he, at first he's like, dad, how did I even get in here? I was like, I opened the sliding door, just ran in and I trapped it in the laundry room. So there it is. And we got to get it out. So same plan how it came in. We're going to get it out. What we're going to do is I'm going to open the laundry room and you need to be ready at the back door because they're very close. And we're going to just try to like, you know, shoo it out the back door. So you got to be ready to open the door and close it. And he's like, dad, I don't want to. I don't want to. And I'm like, Leland, you got to step up. It's going to take two of us to do this. We got to get the raccoon out of the house. You know, and my wife's just scratching at the door. (laughs) And so I'm like, are you ready? He's like, okay, dad, let's do it. I was like, all right, one, two. And so obviously I open up the laundry door and Kim like jumps out at Leland and screams and just scares him to death. And we all thought it'd be this one great, funny laugh and that he'd be laughing and she'd be laughing, I'd be laughing. And he is livid with me, like livid with me. And he was mad at me for a good week. He was mad. And here's why he was mad. Because he goes, he literally, he looks at me. It was just kind of after everything calmed down, he looks at me. And he goes, Dad, why would you lie to me? And I was like, oh, man, see, this is what I do. I take things too far. And I got them good, but it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. But it was this kind of moment for him where he was like, I, Dad, like, I can't believe you would lie to me. Like, have you, if you've had kids before, you know, that first moment your child lies to you, you kind of have that same moment where you're like, oh, wow, you're now capable. Like you've risen to a level of intellect where you realize, oh, I don't actually have to tell you the truth. I can make up a reality and tell you that, and that might go better for me. And it's kind of this disorienting thing in relationships, right? When deception gets introduced into a relationship. 
whether it's between you and a child or you and a spouse or you and a friend or a coworker, and you realize, wow, I now have to do some extra work to make sure that you're telling me the truth because I now know you're capable or you will not tell the truth sometimes. And I think this is what my son was going through. He was literally like, I can't believe you would lie to me. And I'm like, yeah, well, I kind of deserve that. Like the next time I tell you there's an animal in the house, you're probably gonna be like, no, dad, I I don't believe you, right? Because you've lied to me about this before. But in all seriousness and in reality, deception is disorienting, right? Because in relationships, we now have to do the extra work to discern. Are you telling me the truth or not? Do you have any motives or an agenda here that I need to sort through to, to see if you're telling me the truth? And the reality is, is deception is a key characteristic of the fall. If you think about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we read about the garden and when God creates everything and everything's perfect, but in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? The serpent comes along and what does he do? He deceives Adam and Eve. And what he does is he actually tells them, actually, the one who's deceiving you is God. God's the one who's deceiving you. God God told you that if you ate of that tree, you would die. And me, serpent, I'm telling you, you won't die. God's lying to you. And of course, the one who was lying was the serpent. And so the very thing that plunged all of mankind into the fall, that, that made sin rampant in the world, is this idea of deception. And so the reality is this, that if we are people who follow Jesus, if we are people who claim to know God and follow God and follow the Bible, and and we are called, as we talk about here all the time, to be representatives of God's kingdom in this world, then God has called us to be people who tell the truth. God has called us to be people that when when people think about us, they know, hey, I may not buy into everything they believe, but that person at least tells the truth. I I don't question if they're lying to me or not. And this morning, we're uh, continuing our series, summer sermon series uh, on the Ten Commandments. And so we're on the Ninth Commandment. Uh, this morning. And what we're going to learn in this ninth commandment is that, yes, God does call us to be people who tell the truth. But more specifically, and what we're really going to talk about today, is that God calls us to be people who tell the truth when we're talking about other people. And that's what we're really going to drill down together today. We are called to be people who always tell the truth, especially when we are talking about other people. So if you have a Bible, open it up to uh, the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter uh, 20. That's the first place in the Bible that we get the 10 commandments. And here's what we're gonna do uh, this morning. We're gonna study, uh, we're gonna read this ninth commandment that you'll find that in verse 16, Exodus 20, verse 16. Um, And so what we're gonna do first is just zoom in on that and, and think about, okay, why does God give this command in the particular culture and historical context of Exodus and for God's people? And then as you know, it's what we've been doing the whole series. Then we're gonna zoom out and we're gonna ask the question, well, what is the heart behind this command? Because God cares about the heart underneath these commands and the heart that would cause us to 
break these commands. And so we're going to zoom out and really take a look at the heart behind it. But let's, let's start in verse 16. Exodus 20, verse 16, short verse. The ninth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know, where deception can be especially harmful is if you're in a situation where you are accusing someone of something or you're a witness and you give false testimony, right? You say that someone did something that they did not do, or you say, I witnessed someone do something and they actually didn't do that. And when we're gonna drill into this command at its most specific granular level, this is really what the command is referring to. We're, we're talking about kind of the kind of jurisprudence that God wanted his people to practice during those days. You know, you have to remember, this is an ancient culture. This is a, you know, Israel's kind of wandering through the desert right now when he receives these commands. And so in this culture, if there was going to be an accusation and if there was going to be an investigation, you're talking about a capital crime, right? You're not really talking about all these other crimes. There's an accusation that someone killed someone else and we need to get witnesses and we need to figure out what happened so that we can come to that justice can be served. So in a context like this, One of the things that you see, there's no forensics, right? There's no video cameras. There's no, you know, high level advanced way to investigate and figure out what happened. So everything was decided based on the account of witnesses. And so obviously this is something that could be easily abused. Um, Philip Graham Ryken, who writes a great commentary on the book of Exodus says this, he says, You know, in those days, people were charged with the crime. People who were charged with the crime had little protection. They were not presumed innocent until proven guilty, but presumed guilty until until proven innocent. There were few standards for the presentation of evidence, and sometimes the accused didn't even get the chance to mount a defense. Furthermore, most ancient courts were willing to convict someone on the strength of a single witness. And so what we see in the Old Testament is God installs a different kind of justice system, a system that's going to say, no, we're actually gonna put the burden of proof on those who are going to make this accusation. Like you need to prove that this happened, that this person would be considered innocent until proven guilty. A couple examples I wanna give you real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 to 19 Look at, this is what God says about this. He says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, this is what the ninth commandment is referring to, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days, the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. 
so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So you can see God, God cares about justice here and that it is done properly. One more text I want to show you, a page over, like one page in your Bible to Deuteronomy 17, verses 6 and 7. This one's quite, quite intense. It says this, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Verse seven, the hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. I mean, that's like intense. Okay, you wanna come and bring a charge, you're gonna cast the first stone. And these were things that God put into place to ensure that the justice system wasn't abused. And the ninth commandment is one of those things as well. A direct command from God, you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. God takes it seriously when we talk about other people in a way that is false or falsely accuses them. So that's looking in on it kind of at the granular, granular level. But what I wanna do is kind of zoom out and ask, well, what's the heart behind these commands? Because one of the things we know in scripture with all of these commands, Jesus does this often, we've been talking about it, is oftentimes Jesus says, yes, the, the, the command says this, thou shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if, if this is even occurring in your heart, then you've violated the command. And so what we know is that God cares about the heart. And so let's talk about the heart behind the ninth commandment. And to do that, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter eight, the gospel of John chapter eight. I'm gonna read verses two to nine. This is gonna help us understand the heart behind the ninth commandment. It's a story with, about Jesus. It says this, early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, so the religious rulers of the day, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Now, real quick, before we move on, there, there's, there's a passage in scripture that these Pharisees have in mind. It's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both, this is interesting, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. This is in Leviticus chapter 20. So this is the verse that these scribes and Pharisees have in mind, um, but Jesus knows they're not serious. He knows they're not serious. One, he knows the motives of his heart because he's God. And two, he also knows, well, you've only brought the woman. And specifically this command does not say you bring both before, right? So th these people aren't serious. So let's continue in our passage Verse six says, this they said to test him. There's their motive that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, now Jesus has a verse on his mind, Deuteronomy 17, seven. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone. And once more, he bent down and rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. What, were the, what was the heart of the Pharisees here when they brought this woman before Jesus? Was it that they were so passionate about the law and so passionate about righteousness and they were so passionate about God's people following God's commands that they were you know, just kind of led by their zeal of the glory of God to bring this woman before Jesus? No, the text tells us that wasn't the heart behind it. The heart was they wanted to trap Jesus. See, the heart of the Pharisee is they wanted to disparage this woman because there was something else that they wanted. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to show Jesus to be a fraud. They wanted to elevate themselves amongst their Pharisee buddies who all wanted Jesus to be taken down. And so what they did, the heart inside of them is they disparaged another person because they had an agenda. They disparaged another person because there was something that they wanted. They wanted to trap Jesus. But what happened is Jesus trapped them. If this is just, if your heart is just, this is exactly why God put this in the law in Deuteronomy 17, you go first. If your heart is righteous before the Lord in this accusation and in this witness, you go first. And one by one, they walked away because the Pharisee knew he was not just. See, we violate the ninth commandment, I believe, when we disparage another person because there's something that we want. And that person is collateral damage and the things that we're seeking after. We violate the ninth commandment. The heart behind it is when we disparage another person because there's something that we want. Because whenever we disparage others to get something that we want, you always have to use deception. In your disparagement, you always have to bend the truth, exaggerate a little, present things not exactly as they are in order for you to get the things that you want. Because listen, if the reason why you're maybe speaking negatively about something or someone or, or talking about someone in a negative way, and if the true reason is your heart is because you care for them, you love them, if you're truly just in this, then you're not gonna use deception. And so here's what I wanna do for the rest of our time. I, I have two ways that I, I think we commonly have this heart inside of us disparaging others because there's something that we want. Two ways. And, and I'm gonna talk about one way that's kind of external. And then I wanna talk about one way that's internal. One way I think we just do this inside of us that I think is really important that we point out and think about for a second. All right, so two ways that we disparage others to get something that we want. And I wanna show you how deception is involved. And so the first way is this uh, pretty, pretty, uh, common thing that I think all of us take part in, but obviously very much fits with the ninth commandment is gossip. 
I think the first way that we have this heart underneath uh, the ninth commandment, this heart that violates the ninth commandment is through gossip. Talking about others behind their back in such a way that we wouldn't do in front of them. Talking about others in such a way that is designed to take down their reputation. And deception is involved in gossip because we are not giving the other person the ability to give their side. We're not letting the other person speak to what you're saying. And so in our desire to speak about things in a way that they wouldn't hear about, it frees us up to deceive. It frees us up to bend the truth. It frees us up to make it a little more juicy. And so deception is always involved when it comes to gossip. Uh, Colossians chapter three, verse eight, Paul says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. This is all over the Old and New Testament. Gossip and slander is something that God speaks of often, that he does not want this anywhere near his people. But as I was thinking about this, thinking about gossip, I, I really wanted to dig into, okay, asking the question, why? Why do we gossip? What's the motivation there? What's going on inside of us that allows this to come out of us when we talk about people behind their backs. And honestly, the only way that I could really figure it out is by looking into my own heart and going, Alan, okay, when you've been guilty of this, what have been kind of the motivations that you've had to do this? What's been inside of you? I thought of three. Three motivations that might fuel gossip. The first one is this, fun. Just fun. You got something juicy about another person? And it's a captivating conversation. Other people want to hear it. You know, you might even find yourself in the situation where you go, oh, did you hear this about this person? And maybe you even catch yourself, ooh, I'm about to gossip. And you go, no, nah, never mind. And then everyone around you is like, oh, no, 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 come on, come on, come on. I wanna, I wanna hear, I wanna hear. And you're like, okay, all right, I'll get in. Right, it's just fun. You want the captivated audience. And so we share. And the juicier it is, the better. So deception's involved because we'll, We'll make it even better than it is. This first one, I found it in my heart. Second one, I think, is distancing ourselves from another person. So we see another person do something, we hear about another person doing something, and we don't have respect for that person. And I wanna make sure that I have a distance from me to them when it comes to my peers. I think this is what the Pharisees were doing with Jesus. They're always trying to distance because Jesus was teaching about the Jewish faith. And I think they always wanted to distance themselves. And I think we like to distance ourselves from others by gossiping, by talking bad about another person behind their back. And it's a subtle way of kind of elevating ourselves and, and making ourselves appear better than they are. So I, I think that's a motivation behind it. But here's one that I found, at least inside of me, that I think we need to talk about. I think sometimes we're motivated to gossip because we're processing our trauma. Let me talk about what I mean by that. Maybe we've had a situation in our lives, tough relationship with your parents or a brother or sister or a coworker or a boss or a neighbor. I don't know, you just had a bad relationship somewhere along your life. That was really hurtful to you. It's really impactful. It's something that you think about a lot, all right? Word for that is trauma, all right? 
meaning that you just think about it a lot. It's shaped you a bit. And so what can happen is we have another scenario, another relationship where we see someone behave or act in a way that's similar. And so it's hard for us. So what's going on is there's stuff going on inside of us, right? And we don't know what to do with that. We don't even know if we can name it. But what happens is we can feel this motivation to talk about that other person because it's us just letting some of that out. It's us processing the hard experiences we've had in the past. And so what can happen is gossip can be kind of a release valve for that. And I don't think we talk about that enough because I don't think we take seriously the fact that we need to process that, we need to talk about it, but gossip is just not going to be the best way to do that, right? Because you're disparaging another person because there's something that you want. In all three scenarios, that's what we're doing. I'm disparaging someone because it's fun. I'm disparaging someone because I want to distance myself or I'm disparaging someone because I don't know, there's all this stuff going on inside of me and I'm just letting it out. But we're still gossiping. It still involves deception. It's still violating the ninth commandment. And so what do we got to do? Surprise, surprise. We got to ask the question, y'all. We got to ask the question, what's going on inside of me? Why am I feeling a desire to talk about this other person in a way that I know is gossip? Is it just fun? Okay, it's good that I'm aware of that because I need to not do it. (laughs) Is it distancing myself? Okay, why do you feel the need to distance yourself from that person? Is it because the way that person is acting? I don't know, it's doing all kinds of things inside of me. Well, let's identify that and find healthy ways for you to process through that with trusted people and not a way that's gonna slander an individual. But my goodness, church, like imagine, like imagine the strides that the church of Jesus Christ could make if we just got really good at asking that question of ourselves, what's going on inside of me that's making me wanna do this right now? And having the humility to identify it having the humility to confess it, having the humility to get on our knees and take it to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this because there's something that I want. And right now I really feel like talking bad about that person is gonna help me get it. You know, um, gosh, over a decade ago, I was on staff over at McLean Bible Church. I was was one of their college pastors uh, for uh, several years. And I was really young at the time, really young in ministry. And, you know, one of the things that was kind of a a characteristic of being on staff there at that time was there was a group of staff members, not, not everyone, certainly not everyone, but there was kind of a culture of gossip amongst these staff members. And I was very much a part of it. And, you know, the things we would primarily gossip about was like direction of the church and ways that we wish things would be done better in the church. That was primarily our topic of gossip. At the same time, I, when I came on staff, another guy came on staff at the same time, a guy named Mike Kelsey. He's one of the lead pastors there now, a good friend of mine. And the thing with Mike is Mike would never participate in that, ever. He would never talk bad about someone. He would never, and I knew, I would try to poke him. I'd be like, Mike, I know you've got thoughts, man. Come on, like share them. And I would try, I would be that guy that would try to drag him in. Mike would never do it. And one of the things that I think about with Mike even today is that is a guy where I'm like, man, 
when I think of someone with impeccable integrity and when I think of someone like I trust their heart implicitly and their self-control, I think of a guy like Mike Kelsey. He commands respect and trust because of his self-control in this area. And so I wanna encourage you, I wanna encourage me in this particular topic that if we are people who just say, we're not gonna go there. There are times we need healthy outlets to talk about what's going on inside of us, but gossip is not gonna be that outlet. And if we are just people who say, I'm not gonna go there, it's just not healthy for uh, that person or for me or for representing God's kingdom, even though some people might not think you're that fun you will command their respect and trust. And that's what Mike did for me, and I'm appreciative of that. So the first way I think that we disparage others because there's something that we want is gossip, and that's kind of the way we do it externally. The second way that I just wanna talk about today, and the last way, this is more of an internal reality, is I think through making assumptions. So the first way is gossip, and the second way is assumptions. So here's what I mean by uh, uh, assumptions. What what I mean by that is when something's gone on with another person and, and we don't do the work necessary to fully understand what they're going through, what they feel, why they did what they did to understand them. And so what happens is we make a lot of assumptions about that person. And deception is involved in this because what happens is we don't give them the benefit of the doubt and we don't go and learn more in order to form our opinion. So we form an opinion about that person that is naturally deceived. It's, it's not true because we haven't done that work. And so what that does is it produces bitterness inside of us. This is where bitterness comes from. We've made all these assumptions. I haven't done the work to fully understand. And so now I'm bitter at this person. Right, Ephesians 4, 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord um, helped me with this one recently. La- you know, the past couple of weeks have just been really busy weeks for me, been very full. And so, and then last weekend, my wife and I decided, let's take the kids to the beach for two days, Friday, Saturday, before school starts, quick little beach trip. So we just took them over to Rehoboth for two days. The night before we left to go uh, on that trip, my wife comes to me and she says, hey, um, I I feel like you haven't really been present lately. (sighs) Have you, that frustrated me to hear. I'm gonna just be straight with you, just gonna kind of share. All right, that frustrated me, why? Because I was like, man, I feel like that I've made a lot of effort to be around. And yes, being around and present are two different things. I feel like I've made a lot of effort to be around. Uh, So we go to bed, we get up super early the next day, we drive to the beach, we get to the beach, her and I, we're putting up this beach shade together and we're just kind of snooty with each other. And then I had forgotten to get something in the car, so I gladly grabbed the keys. I'm just gonna walk back up to the car to, to grab what we left. So I'm walking, and I don't know if, you ever, if you're ever frustrated and mad and you're walking and you're kind of like playing out the conversation in your head. And this is what I'm doing. I'm making all kinds of assumptions. Well, I've been around here and I was around here and I was around here and here. And so you're not recognizing that. You don't wanna recognize that. You, 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 right? There are all these assumptions about how she's looking at this all wrong. I grabbed the thing from the van. I'm walking back to where we are. It was like the Lord. This is, 
I guess a good and bad thing about being a preacher. It was like the Lord like poked me between the eyes and was like, hey man, why don't you like practice what you preach? What's going on inside of you, Alan? So I'm walking, what's going on inside of me? And I, man, there was several things. I was frustrated, I was angry. And then one of the things that came to me, Spirit of God, have you even thought about asking your wife what she meant by that? Why she felt that way? Maybe asking her what's going on inside of you. So I got back, we set up our beach chairs, sitting down, and I, saw, I said, I need to tell you what's going on inside of me. That's exactly what I said. Because I know it's what I teach us to say and to ask all the time. And you know what that did? It led to a great conversation. And it led me to asking her, hey, what's, what's causing you to feel that and to understand that what she's saying is completely valid. And then for her to hear what's going on inside of me and understand, man, this is what's going on inside of me. So we had a great conversation that led to a great day. But the problem was this, is that I was making assumptions. I was disparaging her in my own heart because there was something that I wanted. And I think internally it was a violation of this Ninth commandment. I wasn't going out of my way to fully understand her. I wasn't giving her the benefit of the doubt to get what's going on inside of her. I just was comfortable. I was completely content, rolling with the assumptions because it fit my narrative. And it fit what I wanted to go down. So you see how assumptions and the refusal to give the benefit of the doubt and to refusal to ask yourself what's going on inside of me, you see how that can sour a relationship like this. And I'm convinced that there are marriages probably in this room, but there's marriages everywhere or, or good friendships or whatever it is. And those relationships have been sour forever because you've got two people who just won't ask the question, what's going on inside of me? And what's going on inside of them? And am I willing to humbly receive that? And so just assumptions get made and bitterness flies through the roof and the relationship can't ever recover. Two ways that I think we violate this heart behind the ninth commandment, gossip, talking about others behind their back and making assumptions, not doing the work to understand what's going on with the other person. And so let me just close our time by asking the question, what is the remedy? Like, how do we, how do we get better at this? How do, we, how do we grow in this particular area? Well, of course, you gotta ask the question, in all of these scenarios, what is going on inside of me? Of course, we've gotta ask that question. We've gotta be able to go in that direction. We've gotta be able to willing to identify the areas of where is my heart? Why is my heart willing to disparage another person? And what are the things that I want? but we're not gonna fully grow in the ways that God wants us to grow. We're not gonna fully be transformed in the ways that God wants us to be transformed until we realize this, that that table that's right here that we're about to partake of represents your and my greatest criticism. You thought about that before? That table represents your greatest criticism, my greatest criticism. That, but before God, I am someone who has sinned I am stained with my sin before God, not worthy to be in his presence. 
that I need cleansing if I'm gonna be in his presence. That, that before God, I deserve his wrath for the ways that I've rejected him and the ways that I have rejected his commandments. It represents our greatest criticism, but it also represents God's greatest mercy. The reality that in the midst of that, instead of disparaging us, where guess what? He would have had every right to disparage us. Instead of disparaging us, he decided to move towards us. Instead of disparaging us, he decided to actually sacrifice himself, take the weight of our sin on himself, on our behalf, on the cross. That's why we break bread. We are literally symbolizing the breaking of the body of Christ for our sin. And it's why we drink wine. We are symbolizing how his blood on the cross cleansed us from our sin. And here's the reality when it comes to being merciful to others. We will never be able, I think, to live this out. We will never be able to treat others in the way that Christ has treated us until we realize that that table represents our greatest criticism and yet God's greatest mercy towards us. It's not until we understand the mercy of God towards us that we can have the same mercy towards other people. And we can literally step towards people in love instead of doing what our flesh wants to do and that is disparage them. And so what is the remedy? The remedy is, yes, we gotta ask what's going on inside of us, but we also need to drink deeply of the mercy of God first. We need to experience his forgiveness and his love and his care towards us so that will transform us that we can love and care for others in the same way. And so here's how I'd like to end our time together. Band, if you guys wanna come up, you can, but um, I'm gonna invite you to the table and at the table, I'm gonna invite you to take some bread and take some juice. And I want you to reflect on God's mercy to you in and through Christ, through the cross. But as you reflect on that, I also want you to ask yourself the question, what's going on inside of me? I imagine that all of us have relationships in the room today where there is stuff going on, maybe ways that we've been gossiping about another person or assumptions that we're making about someone else. And maybe we just need to start to name those things. Maybe we need to bring those before the Lord in confession and then drink deeply of his mercy and let that lead us to go do the thing that would honor him most. And so I'm gonna pray for us right now. And then I just invite you to, um, if you wanna take a few moments in your seat right now and pray and ask that question, what's going on? Let the spirit lead and guide you and then come forward and take of the bread and juice. You can do that if you wanna come right up and grab the elements and sit in your seat and think and pray. You can do that. It's free for you to reflect in whatever way that you want to do. So let me pray and let's do that time together. Father, we come before you today as a family, a body. And we just wanna drink deeply of your mercy this morning. None of us are perfect in the things that we talked about this morning. 
And so God, we bring them before you. We lay them at the foot of the cross and we ask for your forgiveness. We wanna be people of the truth. We wanna be people who don't disparage others. God, we wanna be quick to listen and slow to speak. God, we wanna have the self-control in the moment to not talk bad about another person. We wanna have the humility to ask what's going on in us that's causing us the desire to do that. We wanna be able to see reconciliation in our relationships and bitterness dissipate. So God, we need your help. Would you help us in this? So as we drink deeply of your mercy this morning, would you give us the ability and the power to be merciful to others in the same way you've been merciful to us? And God, would you help us to see that all of your commands are for our joy and there is a life of joy waiting for those of us who speak the truth about others. So God, I just pray that you would individually in this room right now, just minister and care for each person by your spirit as we take this time to reflect. In Christ's name.